May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May all kings fall down before him, all nations serve him. Uh, welcome. This is the Dominion Podcast, episode 18. I am Jeremy Boyd. And I'm Alex. And we've got a very special guest here tonight. Uh, we're only going to give you his first name, Andrew. <laughs> you know, let he's, him who has understanding <laughs> seek out the number of the name. I don't know. <laughs> he's a wanted man. Andrew is uh, a, a member at Westmount Bible Chapel. He's a good friend of the show. Uh, I believe you've been listening to the show yes. for a while now. Yes. And uh, Andrew's a writer. Uh, a satirist, and he's going to help us talk about some stuff. Which tonight. is why he can't give his last name. That's right. <laughs> That's right. He's and just just in case you're thinking, he is not part of that group. No, no. not that one. He's not part of the TGC group. <laughs> 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 so let's start off by asking. You know, are the nations still raging? What's going on? They the, are still raging. The kings have not fallen down. No. Okay. According to my uh, observations, that's the case. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> well, we wouldn't be doing a podcast if that was the case. <laughs> wouldn't we? I mean, well, we would. We just wouldn't be talking about this stuff. We would just be talking about how great God is all the Yeah, time. I mean, if there's yeah. podcasts in the new heavens and earth, I oh, suppose. Oh, of course there would be. Yeah. Why not? Well, we'll do one you if know? there are. <laughs> we'll set a date. All right. <laughs> no date setting. All right. There we go. So we ended last week uh, talking about... Uh, writing the power of words ben was talking to us about that since then he actually put out a really great article mm-hmm. if you guys didn't uh, read that he put out a great uh, article on his blog uh, i believe it's been shared on a lot of the platforms go and read that a great example of what he was talking about but one of the other ways we can use our words is uh, what we would call satire or you know on the internet might be called trolling mm-hmm. uh, trolling of course has some negative connotations mm-hmm. we maybe don't want to use that word but uh, satire in the sense of uh, using our words to, I guess, mock certain ideas with the with the hope of bringing to light the inconsistencies of those ideas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a method of exposing folly. Mm-hmm. Right, a really good way of saying it. So you take uh, a very foolish and preposterous notion that's widely accepted and is kind of clouched. Um, I don't know if I'm thinking of the right word. It's kind of just veiled in kind of this sanctimonious platitudes. Mm-hmm. Right. And you use those same language and platitudes to take it to such a ridiculous conclusion right. that the folly is just evident. To this all. would be answering a fool according to his folly? Mm-hmm. Correct. Or not answering a cool fool according to his folly? Which one? <laughs> Probably the first one. Yeah, I'd say the first one. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's get into it. Al, you want to Yeah, well, opening well, thoughts? we need to talk about this because I mean, there's always controversies and as long as I've been a Christian and as as long as I've been, you know, even in ministry more aware of these things, um whenever there's a controversy in the church, the the topic of how we speak to one another, how we speak about such things comes up. Even with a, and that that's not necessarily a disagreement between people. It could be you're working through a passage and you come across um, a difficult passage that confronts an idol of the age and uh, something that is culturally sensitive to be speaking about. And people just have all kinds of opinions about what a Christian should and should not say. And that's been the case the last year and a half as the church has faced kind of a crisis of um, doctrine and life. Right. And what do we believe about the nature of the church and its gathering? What do we believe about the nature of the state and its relationship to the church? What do we believe about 
um, the importance of in-person ministry, about care for the least of these, all of these things, there's been a the the crisis that our culture has faced has has, has brought a crisis in the church. Mm-hmm. And with that has been a discussion of how do we speak about these things? And um, one of the most, discour- I would say the most discouraging part of the last year has not been our premiere. It has been uh, Christian pastors. Mm-hmm. And not, and I don't even mean that by people who have held different opinions. I mean certain uh, notable influential pastors um, online, but even offline, just influential relationally, um, and how they have refused to engage with the necessary exegetical arguments, um, with the necessary you know ecclesiological issues, and and mm. um, just even the reality of the situation we're in. Right. Mm-hmm. This um, is what you were saying, Andrew, when you were describing it at the beginning. Is the the other side is is neglecting to engage at a deep level. There's sort of a, a surface level platitude being yeah. pitched. Mm-hmm. And so your point is you take that and say, well, if that's true, then this, and you make something funny out of it. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And, and the point of it is to disarm their weapon. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul talks about people who through smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. Yeah. Yeah. And that is their weapon. Yeah. Mm. Um, and so you just take that and you just yank it out of their hand, if you will. Yes. You, know, you, you, you They love respectability. Yeah. They love um, to clout, you know, kind of put everything in nice language. Yeah. And when you just kind of put it back at them that way in absurdity, right. um, it forces them to have to actually reckon with the issues. And it, it, it makes the simple those who are easily deceived by such platitudes mm-hmm. see the error of it. Right. Because a lot of times we're, we're maybe just not discerning enough that we're actually being fed that stuff. Yeah. Well, I was just going to, where I was going with this, and that, that text is really helpful because there's a huge cultural problem. If you think smooth talk and flattery is actually righteous speech, and not only that, you think that's the only form of Christian speech and all other speech is wrong. You are in a, you are setting yourself up for uh, a crisis of, of, of false teaching and being led down a wrong path, a path of folly. And I think in Canada, a lot of Christians, I mean, this has to do with our worldliness, think that that's smooth talk and flattery is, the, is loving speech. Mm-hmm. We need to speak in a way um, that makes people feel affirmed and we can't right. contradict people. So when you come out and, and for, we'll talk about satire more specifically as the episode goes on, that feels inherently wrong to people. Especially when it's between believers. Especially when it's between believers. Yeah. And um, we just need to push back on that. So one thing I wrote a while back is just on the, the proclivity of Canadians uh, Christians in Canada to form speech laws and basically rules of righteousness surrounding our speech that actually go beyond what the scripture says. And it's mm. a new form of legalism and the danger of it and why it's so heinous is because it, uh, the standards that they judge their brothers and sisters by in their speech would condemn the sinless son of God mm, right. and would condemn the righteous prophets and would condemn the disciples as all legalism, you know, ultimately is a false 
law. And we just mm. see this rampant. And like you said, it's under the guise of respectability and loving and gracious. And it's couched in these righteous sounding terms. Right. But it doesn't take into account all of scripture. I mean, when I was reading through these, I was thinking about this myself. I mean, you know, you, you hear First Peter 2 come up when we criticize um, our governors, and First Peter 2 tells us to honor all people, and especially the emperor. Um, and they use this as a weapon to condemn any form of critical speech. The reason this is so, frankly, asinine is that the emperor himself would not have thought the way the disciples spoke about him and to him was respectful or honoring. No. Paul died a dissident. Yeah. Like, so you have to have a category in your brain mm-hmm. for honoring the emperor, but not letting the emperor determine what that looks like. Right. Letting the rest of scripture determine what that looks like. The other thing is, that's not the only thing we're told in scripture. So it doesn't mean that we only and always speak in this way. It means that we have a certain posture, let's say, towards the emperor um, and towards those in authority. But if you take this principle, honor the emperor, and you deduce from that the principle, speak respectfully of anyone in authority and never otherwise, you've just you have just made up a law mm. that is that it goes beyond scripture yeah. and actually contradicts scripture. So I think we, of what uh, what Jesus said. Um, to the disciples where he said, the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, but they do not do what Moses did. Yeah. And he says, follow what they say because they're telling you the right things, but they're not living it out. Yeah. Basically condemning all their actions. Right. So, I mean, if that's, if that, that's him criticizing. He's, yeah. He's just criticizing their actions. Yeah. So there's clearly nothing wrong with that if it's done in the right way. Yeah. Well, even Satan himself um, took portions of scripture when he was trying to tempt Jesus. I mean, it, he wasn't at all a lie, but he was mm. taking a part truth and making it the whole truth. And Jesus right. would come back at him with the word of God. Mm. And so taking one little verse and saying, your speech can only fit into this box, uh, this rule, the principle I'm pulling out of here. I mean, that's what Satan does. Uh, the reason we're given a whole book and not a tract is that we need the whole word of God to make the full man of God mm. uh, conform to the image of God. And uh, ultimately, I mean, it's bad. Like if we look at the Bible, you know, indignation and personal offense over harsh condemning speech is often a sign of unrighteousness. Yeah. Hmm. Whereas Canadians would think if I'm offended, that's a sign that you are speaking Hmm. unrighteously, but it's like, okay, read the story of the Bible. While we are told things, you know, like let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such is good for the building up as fits the occasion. Sounds like the sermon we heard on Sunday. Yeah. Yes. Ephesians uh, 4.29. While those texts are in the Bible, um, it is, the Bible is a very polemical book. And the prophets and Jesus and the disciples and the apostles are often confronting sin. Yeah. And they speak in a way and they employ language in different contexts uh, to actually do that. Right. And it's almost like most Christians haven't read the Bible. Like when these people make these laws up and try to impose these standards, my, and I don't mean this patronizingly, my thought is, do you, do you read the Bible? I, I think they more peruse the Bible than read right. it would be a good way to say it. Yeah. Um, and and it, it kind of goes back to the whole idea of like, oh, well, this isn't Christ-like. 
you know, right. and we have a definition of Christ-like that's very one-dimensional. Right. Closer mm-hmm. to our cultural definition of what niceness is. Exactly. Right. And, you know, n- you know, when people ask the question, what would Jesus do? You know, turning over tables and making a whip never comes into the equation as a possibility. Or call, calling you. his number one disciple, you know, Satan. Yeah. yeah. Get behind me, Satan. Or, 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 <laughs> or saying to a tyrant, you know, calling him a fox. Right. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That wouldn't exactly bode well, you know, with people. Yeah. You know, yeah. they'll take great offense if you refer to someone as an 800-pound gorilla. Mm-hmm. But uh, a fox, mm-hmm. ooh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, like a, a, a deceitful, underhanded, conniving, you know, person. So there's, there's a kind of a couple categories. So we would say speech could be directed towards ideas, Mm-hmm. And it could be directed towards people. Do you guys have the, how do you distinguish those categories? Yeah, I don't think, I, I think the idea that it needs to not be directed at people is just a fallacy. I mean, we ha- unfortunately, for these guys, we have people who are recorded in the eternal word of God. It's, you know, Hymenaeus and Alexander, I've handed over to Satan that they might learn not to blaspheme. Um, you know, we have record Peter, uh, Paul's interaction with Peter when he has to rebuke him mm. for his not walking in step with the gospel, uh, and he even repented. But but it was an exam. It served as an example to the rest of the church that we that that God actually calls out in the Old Testament nations, and the prophets go to kings and they call out people, and Jesus calls Peter Satan. And so the idea that you can't direct. You can't address someone directly um, because of some false sense of respect or something. It's just wrong. And again, what we're, we're going to get at, it's going to come up over and over when we talk about speech. What we're not doing, to, to be clear, is justifying any and all things we say right. whenever we say it. Yeah. All we're pleading, all I'm pleading for, is that we build our categories around the Bible and most people have a narrow-minded view of what Scripture allows and even calls for, for speech. Now, the whole question of when and where do we employ such speech is a great conversation. But we're just, we're just dealing with the fact that most Canadian Christians don't allow for a huge majority of biblical speech. Mm. Keeping, in, keeping in mind the whole of Scripture is, is God's Word. It's yeah. speech. Yeah, and should inform the way that we speak to people. And it's pretty inevitable too. If you're, say, calling out some cultural sin or some general sin, you're inevitably going to be upsetting the people that are committing that sin, right? I'm sure you yes. know this as a pastor. You're preaching on a particular topic. People might get their feathers ruffled. You're not necessarily talking to them personally, but you're talking to a situation that maybe they're involved in. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's for a lot of people, you know, uh, especially once we get talking about satire, you know, you start lambasting a particular exegesis or mm-hmm. a particular interpretation as being shallow. Well, the people that teach that are going to get their backs up. Yeah. Inevitably. I mean, ideally they go, oh yeah, I'm not right about that. And they repent and, you know, get the right exegesis. But yes. Well, and... <clears throat> Not to be, I know it's facetious as a term, but we just actually need to be biblical in the way that we speak. So how does, look, read through the Bible and look at the ways that the disciples and the prophets and Jesus speak critically. What what are the things they speak critically about? Let us speak critically about those things. What are the things they don't speak critically about? 
Um, you know, on the one hand, Christians should be marked as the most tender hearted people towards one another, yeah. overlooking an offense, forgiving one another if we've forgiven in Christ. Harsh speech out of a sense of being personally wronged uh, and as a way of vindicating yourself or um, tearing someone down to get back at them kind of thing is just evil and is not part of Christian speech. Amen. But uh, hard words for hard people is absolutely Christian speech. It's not only permitted, but required. So why don't we just talk about satire? Because satire is a great example where we can draw some of these principles. Um, I love the definition you gave of satire. What did you say? Do you remember what you said? Basically, the idea is that satire is a tool for exposing folly. You're just taking it out to its logical end, you know, using the same kind of language that the proponents of, of a, a fallacy yes. will use. Yes. Um, I was... I quoted some Leland Riken in here, and he he writes a little post on this, and he's done a lot on uh, the, the different kinds of the literary features of the Bible. He's kind of the guy for that. And he says that satire is a preeminent genre used by writers who want to show a world gone awry. Hmm. And this is important because in the last year and a half, the people who are most critical of satirical speech are the least willing to acknowledge the ways the world has gone awry. They want to say peace, peace when there is no peace. They want to say, oh, the, the government's not doing anything wrong. Or, oh, coronavirus is actually, the it, it is the plague. Or they want to say, um, no, we can meet online and there's no real harm done to people. They want to minimize the situation. They want to create this fake reality where they're not accountable and they're not responsible. But satire is meant to come in and awaken people to the ridiculousness of those things. Mm. But the point is, those people will be the most upset by it, right? The people who want to live in a false sense of reality, and satire is meant to confront that illusion, they're going to be the most offended. Um, but other people will be helped. Um, so let me ask you this, Andrew. Why not just make an argument? Why make it as, say, somebody under a pseudonym or even maybe not as a pseudonym, but, you know, using a satirical method rather than just refuting somebody's argument on a, you know, literal framework, I guess you could say. Well, I think when you, uh, you enter into the debate on their level, you've already lost the debate in a sense. See, like we've talked about yeah. the Romans passage, their weapon is the smooth words and flattering speech. And the simple-minded are easily deceived by that. And when you enter into a discussion with them on the same level, what you're effectively doing is you're confusing the categories for the simple-minded. Mm -hmm. You're not allowing them to see the folly of it. They mm -hmm. just get... You know, you go in with all the footnotes, all the fancy words and the exegesis back and forth, and they look at it and like, well, I guess intelligent, well-meaning Christians disagree on this, so there's no way I can know who's right or wrong. Mm -hmm. So so Leland Riken says, I'm going to read a little bit of this, and we can comment on it. He says, the distinguishing mark of satire is an object of attack. Mm-hmm. Um, if a writer is attacking someone or something, the discourse immediately has a satiric element. 
Although writers of satire usually take on one main object of attack, they often take pot shots at a whole range of subjects. Um, as one literary critic calls it, satiric ripples. Uh, in itself, satire is not necessarily literary. You, you know, it can occur. It can occur as an editorial, a song, a cartoon, or a, another way. Um, satire becomes literary when it is couched in a distinctly literary form, such as narrative, proverb, or lyric. Biblical satire appears in virtually every genre: hmm. story, parable, poetry, epistle, discourse, visionary writing, and more. So this is important. What we're not saying is that we think that an effective way of communicating is this. And here's our reasons. We're saying that the scriptures themselves employ, God himself employs the method of satire. So on principle, if we are Bible-believing Christians, if the word of God shapes how we act, think, and speak, we need to have a category for satire being a righteous And we need to ask, why is it a necessary Mm -hmm. form of speech? He goes on to say, even though all satire targets something foolish or evil, which is what you meant, um, which is, again, as an aside, that's why you don't use satire on, say, someone in your small group asks a question. Right. And and a sincere question. question. And you just are sarcastic with them. That's an evil thing to do. Amen. And and, And people who employ satire as a method of, you know, touting their their intellectual superiority over people or to debase others who are sincere, even if they're wrong. Um, it, it, it is just, uh, that's sin, just straight up sinful. Yeah, satire in scripture, you always see it used against the perpetually obstinate and yes. hard-hearted. Yes, that's that's a good... Well, how go much ahead. more do you... I was going to actually read a passage of satire from scripture for yeah. us so we can get a flavor for this. Uh, in Isaiah 44, verses 12 through 17. This is uh, uh, against the idols, uh, idolatry. The ironsmith takes a cutting tool and works it over the coals. He fashions it with hammers and works it with his strong arm. He becomes hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. The carpenter stretches a line. He marks it out with a pencil. He shapes it with planes and marks it with a compass. He shapes it into the figure of a man with the beauty of a man to dwell in a house. He cuts down cedars or he chooses a cypress tree or an oak and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar and the rain nourishes it. Then it becomes fuel for a man. He takes a part of it and warms himself. He kindles a fire and makes bread and he makes a god and worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over the half he eats meat. He roasts it and is, satif- and is satisfied. Also, he warms himself and says, Aha, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol, and falls down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my god. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that should be that's funny a when you read text. That. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he picks up on this. He says, The tone is crucial in satire. Two modes of satiric attack exist. Satirists can either laugh vice and folly out of existence, which he's doing there, Mm -hmm. or they can lash vice and folly out of existence. Mm. So most people find this offensive, and it is. When someone laughs at you or when someone lashes out at you, it's not pleasant to be on the receiving end of that. But satire, which is a biblical form of communication, does that. And I just want to almost pause and just say, do you have a category for that? Do you have Mm -hmm. a category for laughing at people and for lashing out at people as a Christian. 
obviously there are many ways to do that wrong. There are many, perhaps even more, ways of sinfully employing that. But it is a necessary um, thing. I mean, O. Palmer Robinson, I had this in my commentary on Habakkuk. He says, uh, there's the woes. The prophet pronounces these woes. And you could think, you know, if you don't know the background to this text, you could think it's like, oh, woe, almost woe is me, poor me, or poor you guys, this this judgment's coming upon you. He says, no, no, this does not mean precisely woe. Um, it, con- it connotes instead the broader idea embodied in the exclamatory, aha, or simply, um, he said in the present context, it takes on something of the tone of mockery. Like a pst. Yeah. <laughs> Um, that kind of laugh? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like a taunting of them. It's a form of mocking. Right. And Jesus employed this as well. He woes to the Pharisees and yep. the law, the scribes. And he says, it might appear beneath the dignity of God to embarrass the proud before the watching world. But a part of his reality is the God of history includes his public vindication of the righteous and his public shaming of the wicked. Hmm. And... His glory before all his creation is magnified by the establishment of honor for the humble and disgrace for the arrogant. Mm. In this case, the shame of Babylon shall be as extensive as its conquests. All of them, all those nations conquered by Babylon shall join the mockery. Even the tiniest of the nations shall rehearse these sayings without fear of reprisal. Mm. So satire... And which includes lashing out or mocking something, either in laughter or in lashing, is actually meant to humble the proud, mm-hmm. and it's meant to exalt the humble. It's it's like, well, that's offensive, and you're you're bringing that person down. It's like it's I'm trying to because that person is exalting themselves, um, and God God's going to humble them. Hmm. I want to get back to something you said. Uh, when I asked the previous question about why using that mode instead of just a normal, you know, refute the argument type of mode. And you said, if you do that, you've already lost the argument. Yeah. So I think of, I think of people that do satire really well. And like, for instance, some of the Babylon B stuff is really good. They're not necessarily going after false teaching in the church so much as false teaching in the culture. But when they take an idea like it doesn't, you know, boys and girls aren't a thing. Gender is not real. Uh, it's a social construct. And then they make an article about a grown man crushing a T-ball and getting the world record for like longest home run. You know, that's, that's that satire. Whereas if you just, it's almost like if you sit down and try and argue with them about, you know, chromosomes and genetics, you've already lost. Well, because you are legitimizing <laughs> the conversation. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Whereas satire is, is, again, it's awakening you to reality. It's like, don't let your cultural and temperamental sensitivities uh, blind you to the biblical reality here. Saying a triangle has four sides is insane. If you sit down and try to reason with people and show them and and go through the history of mathematics and stuff like this, you 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 are starting on the wrong foot. It's like what's going on in this person is pure folly and arrogance. That's why they can't see it. Right. And to your point to begin with, it's not just about this person. It's to, it's to help the people who are caught under their spell, so to speak. It's mm. to say, this is there's nothing credible about this interpretation. But the sexual stuff is a great example because we are, we are being catechized to normalize this. So that even if we're allowed to theoretically disagree, we have to accept it as a viable option. Yeah. A viable alternative, a respectable opinion. 
and we want to say it's, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of I had something to say earlier regarding tone, uh, the, how a lot of people re- will retreat to this argument about tone, mm-hmm. uh, especially in the church. You know, it, what you said wasn't wrong, but it was your tone. Can I just tell you the only people <laughs> I've ever had tell me that? I'm I'm pretty sure of this, and I'm being technically true, are people who are prickly and defensive and angry. I I have I'm trying to think of if I've ever had someone come to me who said, I see what you're saying is true, but it was hurtful how you said it. Right. Um well, let me give you an example that might um, give you a different view. So, uh, have I hurt your feelings? No, you haven't. <laughs> My, I only have one feeling, so it's hard. You know, it's pretty rock solid. <laughs> uh, um, so, a group like End Abortion Now, mm-hmm. when they talk about abortion, mm-hmm. they don't soft pedal it. Mm-hmm. You know, they've got their signs that abortion is murder, Mm. right? They're rightly defining it according to scripture. Mm -hmm. But some of their biggest pushback comes from believers who say, you're not wrong, but you can't convince them using that. You need to be more, you you need to be softer, winsome, whatever words they would use. Um, So there's there's examples like that is kind of what I'm getting at, where it's like, no, they're just... Telling it like it is, yeah. Not with the not with the objective to offend, but to say this is what God calls this. Yeah, and that's a good biblical example of what Andrew's saying. When you abortion is a heinous evil of the highest order, and we are told that we must normalize it. Well, we we may have private held beliefs that it's wrong. We must accept it as totally, not only normal and reasonable, but just. We're told to believe that it's a matter yeah. of justice. We yeah. have to use terms like reproductive rights. Yeah. And um, I reject that. Yeah. And it's just like, <laughs> no, that is the exact kind of thing that the scriptures, that God would come in and mock and revile. Um, to say that there's there's no legitimacy to that, and and I think a really good example of that if, if you've ever seen any of the stuff from Laura Classen with Choice for Two, she uses mm. satire as mm-hmm. a really good method of just plowing through some of the yes the so-called pro-choice yeah. rhetoric. Yeah. Well, here's a great example of the going soft on this, um, and I think it was a great billboard. But there's a billboard there was a there was a controversy that came up. I think it was she mentioned it that girl you just mentioned. In Peterborough, there was a billboard. I don't know where it was. It was on some farmer's property. I don't think it was his. It was just- He was renting this. Someone, yeah, yeah, had a billboard. And they put up a picture of a woman, young lady, and it said something like, if you're pregnant pregnant and scared, call for help. It didn't say anything about abortion, didn't say pro-life, nothing like that. It's like, yes, if you're one of the many people who are nervous about being pregnant and you're on your own, we'd like to support you. He had people come to his house and knock on his door angrily, and yeah. it's it's like no, you can't what? even op- offer that as an option. You had the yeah. softest, kindest mm-hmm. approach you possibly could have taken, and the intoleristas who hate the image of God could not tolerate no. you even doing that. And it's like wh- this whole argument. Well, if you're just more friend, more yeah. friendly to people who think they can kill their children, like it's a sin issue. It's not a tone issue. No, they're, they're rebelling against God. Yeah, right? and, and you can see, you know, she's used the satire. 
very effectively against the hardcore pro pro boards. Yeah. You'll use a different tone in that context, but either way, the tone police will come after you. Yeah. You know, if you, if you put out a, a really solid, well-argued exegetical piece with lots of references, they'll say, they'll say, well, you're just being really intense. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've gotten that too, you know? And so, you know, you're not using the satire. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you use the satire and they go after you and they're they're like, you know, you're being really intense, but you use other methods. They'll say the same thing. But here's the problem with the speech laws back to the beginning. It's like when we use this, say satire, we're not saying this is the only thing we do. Yeah. So when people come and say, you shouldn't do this, you should do that, it's like, whoa, 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 we should do everything. Mm-hmm. Like, if I'm talking to a single woman in my church who hears a sermon and she comes as a, to me as a pastor or to Beck and house and say, this either happened to me, which I've had happen. Yeah. You know, I don't, like some, even last, like recently, someone's like, I had, I had an abortion, not a member of our church, but it's like, I didn't go on some satirical tirade. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? So it's mm-hmm. like, it's like you can't talk that way because there's another way to talk. And it's like, I know, and I also talk that way. <laughs> right. There's just this is a way of speaking as well. It's the reductionist thinking that says, you know, if there's other ways of speaking, you can't speak that way. And I would say just time and place. It, it's all about context too. Yeah. You know, like um I have friends that work, you know, and they do a lot of abortion clinic ministry and they're, they're the last line of defense before people are walking into the clinic. Yes. And, and he can be really harsh, especially with the men. Hey, man up, you know, you're, you're sending, um, you are sending your wife in there to kill your baby. You know, you need to man up and pull him back from the slaughter, you know, and he will, he will use very harsh language. That might be very, that's a very different. Um, you don't have half an hour to lay out an argument. No, got you don't. Five You've, seconds while they're walking yeah, by. Yeah, right? exactly. So you, you're going to use a different tactic. Yeah, and, but that's very different than if you're manning the phones at the crisis pregnancy center and a woman calls in tears. Yeah. You know, you're going to have a very different tone. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just wisdom to use those different categories of speech depending mm-hmm. on the context. 100%. But the problem, like what Alex was saying, is for a lot of Canadian Christians, we don't even have those categories that there could be a scenario yeah. where you can use. There's no context where that's appropriate. This is going back to last week's discussion on cultural Christianity and just how we, we've let our culture dictate what yeah. being a Christian is, yeah. what being Christ-like is. And the irony, according to the Bible, the people who most need to hear satire are people who think that way. People mm-hmm. who think, no, man. Don't be so intense. It's not that bad. There's problems, yes, to be sure, but there's it's never appropriate to speak that way in this context because we're generally righteous. We don't have any blind spots and biases, and that's an extraordinarily conceited and arrogant notion. And it's the kind of thing the people who say peace, peace when there is no peace say. And it's and when you look at G- who did Jesus pronounce woes against? Was it? Uh, it was the respectable authorities. It was the people who were viewed as the most pious, devoted, to use uh, 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 Paul's language of himself, zealous. Um, people who Jesus said, they will think that they are, in killing you, they think they're offering a service to God. Those are the people that God is most critical of 
and employs the, the, the language of satire. Right. But when that happens in reality, it feels wrong. It's like pick the most pious, devoted leader among you and rip him to shreds. Most people would think, oh, no, you're only allowed to rip those little bad people to shreds. It's like, no, in the Bible, that's not what happens. In the Bible, the prostitutes came to Jesus and, and you know, like wiped they his wiped his feet with their tears and people criticized him for that. He eats with gluttons. Yeah. Uh, he eats with sinners and tax collectors. And who he just is couldn't, He just couldn't win. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Same thing, right? It doesn't matter what Tony takes. There's always somebody to tell him he's doing it wrong. Yeah. Right? So the people that you think would be most, uh, you know, it's okay if God talks to those people that way. He didn't. Mm-hmm. And the people are like, oh, how dare you talk to that man that way or me that way? It's like, well, those are the people that he talks to the that self-righteous. way. Self-righteous. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's we, we need to read the story and think of the characters in it mm. and see ourselves as that and and not get to a place where we... I mean, I would call anyone who's concerned about tone, you'd be very careful. There's there's biblical verses about how we speak to one another, but an inordinate concern with tone in the Bible is often an indication of self-righteousness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Think of when Stephen rebukes the leaders who he, he says, uh, brothers, fathers. Um, you know, he speaks respectfully, but then he says, you're always resisting the Holy Spirit. And they gnashed their teeth and they covered their ears and they charged him and they stoned him. Yeah. So, yeah, be, be, being offended at speech is, is a dangerous sign. It's mm. not a sign of righteousness. Um, you need to be very cautious of it. And, and we all need to. Mm. Being defensive and easily offended is a proclivity we all have. Right. Well, you guys got anything else? Uh, anything else to say for yourselves? <laughs> I love satire. Yeah. And I'll just say, um, you know, the stuff that Andrew has written this year has been so helpful and other accounts as well uh, that I've come across. I've thought multiple times when I'm just straight up discouraged because part of the discouragement is everyone's insane, yeah. right? But then you- And re- I can't get through to them. You can't get through to them. <laughs> but even if you can't get through, it's just, it's like everyone's like this. But then you read, there's been several posts that I read that just brighten my day. And it's not because of a sense of sick satisfaction and the shaming of someone else. Um, although I rejoice in the righteous uh, humbling of those who exalt themselves. But it is the breath of fresh air to see someone speak the truth into an insane situation, to expose mm. reality, yeah. to the confusion, you know, and the moral ambiguity um, to bring clarity. Mm. It's, just, it's just so encouraging. It reminds you you're not alone. And that you're not the only person that sees the crazy around yeah. you. Yeah. 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 So keep it up, brother. Yeah. All right. I uh, think we have a song coming out in a little while, eh? This, song? Yeah. Oh. We're, oh. we're, we're not going to say anything now, but we're going to drop it sometime. You there, wrote some lyrics for a song? That's right. We, we well, Andrew modified the lyrics to a great song of the church. Yeah. To suit the, to suit the times. So. Yeah. Maybe we'll get that out soon. Oh, for sure. Uh, Andrew's got some articles on the Westmount Bible Chapel site. You mm-hmm. may have some stuff on your Facebook or in other places people can find too, but I know we've published a couple of your articles recently on the Westmount site. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. All right, so head there and check that out. And uh, that's it for the truth section. Mm-hmm. I'm going to read a little passage here. Uh, we talked a little about Joe Boot last week, and so I got a quote from 
the mission of God. And this isn't Joe. This is Joe quoting somebody else. Who's he quoting here? It is Joel McDermott uh, writing for the American Vision. And this is a quote on Dominion. So suitable for our podcast. Slightly longer quote, but I'll, I'll read it here. The leftists sense, rightly, that true Dominion theologians don't wish to rule the world like leftists do. We want the reverse. We want greater freedom, decentralization, privatization, self-determination, local law and local law enforcement, less taxation, and an end to forced wealth transfers, wage controls, debt-financed wars, and welfare, and a billion other government structures and regulations. We want freedom, free markets, and local government, and this is the greatest threat of all to these leftist dominionists. They fear most not uh, they fear most not merely the loss of political control, but a world in which such control is no longer possible. This is the biggest threat of all. For a mere temporary loss of control, a mere replacement of partisan leadership means the top-down seats of power are still there for the taking again at some point in the future. This leaves leftists the opportunity for control. But in a Christian world, power is decentralized and there would no longer be a single central state agency, or three, which leftists could grab in order to control everyone. Shout out to the WHO. That's right. (laughs) And this is the ultimate nightmare scenario for leftists. Who above all things covet power. Sounds like Lord of the Rings there. Uh, For this reason, they must smear this thing called dominion in as far as it threatens their control of society. And uh, that's... He's, he's basically reacting to the leftists who are going after evangelical Christians and they're calling them dominionists. Well, they're just trying to assert their dominion, uh, whereas our dominion is actually the dominion of Christ and a decentralization. Yeah, because they're using yeah. their ideas of dominion yeah, they're and projecting, projecting it. It's like, <laughs> so, oh, no, no, you're the authoritarian and the totalitarian. Yeah, yeah, you guys want total control, and yeah. so they project that onto us. Mm-hmm. But, but we want the opposite. But they see that. Some of them see that and go, if they get their way, then we won't even have the option yeah. to control all these yeah. levers of power, etc. Anyway, great book, uh, and that's a great quote. That is. So, I don't know. Any any other thoughts before we, we close? I'm not going to do any freestyle satire rap for us? <laughs> no, no, I no. think that's good. I that's we, probably wise that you yeah. can't do that. All right. It's not the context. <laughs> all right. Well, for uh, Jeremy, Alex, and Andrew, thanks for joining us on the Dominion Podcast. We'll see you next week. 